Fear, where terror is homegrown. Join us as we take a drive down dusty back roads and discover the obscure and dark history of this country, human and otherwise, that lurk in your backyard. podcast i am your host chris and with me is my good friend james what's up peeps today we are going to cover a rather interesting case of demonic haunting in the state of indiana indiana home of the home, hoosiers home of the indianapolis 500 the 500 that's right yeah uh so we are we are this is our first demonic episode that we're doing that is correct we've actually um, have we actually have, i don't think we've actually done a well, we did do Robert the Doll, but no, we that, haven't done something full-on ghost. Yeah, that really wasn't demonic. That was more, I guess, creepy ghost, or because he didn't really, he didn't really possess anybody. He, yeah, he sort of oppressed uh, Gene, the owner, but he didn't really possess anybody. But I can't believe it took us fourteen episodes to get to a demonic haunting. What the heck, man? I don't know, brother. That's crazy. So, uh, but before we get into that, why don't we go ahead and get into the weird news of the day? Today's story, actually, because I was looking into something, because a little quick side history, uh, in 1975, uh-huh. Indiana was swarmed with UFOs. Okay. Right around the same kind of time that Spielberg was putting together Close Encounters. Now, there was no direct correlation between all of the UFO encounters and the movie itself. We, Correct. We, we did look, but there was nothing between it. But no. the thing is... I feel that it may have been an inspiration. Maybe he was looking up something because the story of Close Encounters takes place in Muncie, Indiana. That is where Roy Neary, the, you know, Dreyfus' character lived. You know, then he treks off across the country with that woman to, you know, Wyoming, the Devil's Tower and everything. Now, you you mentioned that before. I think that's just your conspiratorial side kicking in because we looked into it. And not only did he have the idea, but they also started production like two years before the UFO flap. So there's no way that he had, he got the idea from the Muncie, Indiana uh, UFO flap. So, but, but, but hey. you, you're, you're determined to believe that he did. And I am okay with that. <laughs> I'm just saying it's cool. Yeah, it is cool. It I'm is just cool. saying it's cool because yeah. they filmed it there and that's where it was. So today's story is actually going to be related to the three UFO videos that were taken by the U.S. Navy pilots recently. Oh, yes. Or should I say they were... uh, Declassified. They were were previously leaked, but they were declassified to clear up any misconceptions on whether they were real or not. Yeah, this this has been all over the news lately, and it's such a fascinating story, so I can't wait to hear more about it. The story is dated the 28th April of 2020. The Pentagon on Monday released three declassified videos that show U.S. Navy pilots encountering what appear to be unidentified flying objects. The grainy videos, they're always grainy. Always grainy. Which is the pen... You know, know, I'm sorry. Let's back this up for two seconds. All right, all right. I'm already got a problem with this. Okay. Grainy videos with today's technology, the Hubble freaking telescope. Satellite technology. You can you can tell the, what color somebody's you know eyes are from 200 miles above the Earth. You're gonna tell me the videos were grainy. Let's just also let's let's point out the fact that these videos came from the cameras on jets. 
why would you not want your jets to have much clearer video in case an international incident happened? You that, want the clearest video possible. Well, I, that is absolutely correct, sir. And I guarantee you the, the, the cameras on the jets are much better than this. How, how is it that body cams are clearer than these, <laughs> na- these Navy pilot uh, jet cameras? Well, it's just because they don't want you to actually see. Uh-huh. So let's, well, let's dive on into the All story. Right. What do you say? Let's do it. The grainy videos, which the Pentagon says depict unexplained aerial phenomena, were previously leaked, with some believing they show alien UFOs. The Pentagon said it released the footage to, quote, clear up any misconceptions by the public on whether or not the footage that has been circulating was real or whether or not there is more to the videos. A statement on the Department of Defense website said, Quote, after a thorough review, the department has determined that the authorized release of these unclassified videos does not reveal any sensitive capabilities or systems and does not impinge on any subsequent investigations of military airspace incursions by unidentified aerial phenomenon, the statement said. The videos had been, quote, circulating in public domain after unauthorized release in 2007 and 2017. The statement said, adding that, the aerial phenomenon observed in the videos remain characterized as unidentified, when quotes, of course. The three videos show what the pilots saw during the training flights in 2004 and 2015. That's quite a gap. That is quite a gap. Two of the videos were published by the New York Times in 2017. The other video was released by the To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science group, a media and private science organization. The 2004 video shows an incident that happened 100 miles out over the Pacific, according to the New York Times. Two Navy fighter pilots found an oblong object hovering above the water. It then flew quickly away. It accelerated like nothing I've ever seen, one of the pilots, Commander David Frever, said to the New York Times. The 2015 video shows the objects moving quickly through the sky, one of them seeming to spin in the air. Look at that thing, dude, a pilot says. It's rotating. Hey, much like the uh, closing counter. Uh I am going to make the correlation one of these days. (laughs) The release of the videos by the Pentagon adds to the legitimacy of the videos and will spur more speculation that humans have recently interacted with extraterrestrials. The Navy does have guidelines for reporting UFO sightings. In response, the former Senate Democrat leader Harry Reid from Nevada tweeted the three videos, only scratches the surface of research and materials available. Discussion about the videos and extraterrestrials have persisted throughout the upper echelons of American politics in recent years. During the earlier half of the 2016 presidential campaign, Hillary Clinton said that if elected president, she would release the files on potential UFO sightings. Her campaign chairman, John Podesta, has displayed an interest in the subject as well. Last June, Donald Trump fueled a new round of discussion in political circles about extraterrestrials when he said he had been briefed on sightings of unidentified aircraft by U.S. Navy pilots. Wow. I did not hear about that. That's crazy. To quote, I think it's probably, I want them to think whatever they think, Trump said to ABC News. They do say, and I've seen, and I've read, and I've heard, and I did have one very brief meeting on it. But people are saying they're seeing UFOs. Do I believe? Not particular. In September, an internet hoax resulted in 75 people arriving at Area 51, the infamous secret military facility in in the Nevada desert. Storm the... Yeah, Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. It is rumored to house evidence of extraterrestrials. In a project to storm the base to hunt for the evidence of aliens. Yeah, how'd that work out? Didn't. However, the invitation to storm Area 51 sparked festivals all across Nevada. A local sheriff estimated 1,500 people attended those festivals, underscoring a pop culture interest in the evidence of extraterrestrial life. In 2018, the Irish Aviation Authority investigated a sighting of a reported UFO by commercial airline pilots. The IAA said it would investigate the sightings, but a spokesman for the organization said it was unlikely that the objects were beings from another planet. Yeah, sure they're not. We watched the video beforehand, and uh, it was actually quite interesting. I'm going to tell you what, now one jet was keeping up pretty good. Yeah, I mean... It, keeping it was, pace. Yeah, but it was crazy, the the, the shape of it and everything, and... and uh, yeah, man, that's that's awesome that they, maybe I'll uh, post uh, released it. I'm sure they're been they're out on the news and stuff like that. But what I'll do is maybe during the uh, 
week before this episode comes out. Yeah. I'll uh, put a couple of uh, those videos up on the feed. Cool. Okay, yeah. Yeah, definitely definitely do that for sure because that is it's really interesting. That they are they, very cool. I mean, it, it's a cool video. And they always look the same. But see, that's probably the declassified footage. The actual classified footage and the actual camera shots are probably much, much higher quality. This is like the this is like the GoBot version. I th- I think this is what they see because I don't think they see like actual like uh, normal video. I believe it's all heat infrared. It looks they like have a fucking see... backup camera at night, dude. Yeah, yeah. But... Well, I, I think because they they have to have their cameras in infrared so they can see heat signatures of enemy aircraft. Yeah, they... I, I can get that. Especially Maybe that's what of... it is. Maybe it is an IR. Especially if they fly at night. You know, night vision um, does not go very far, especially up in the sky. New. No. So you definitely want to have heat vision so you can see, you know, the heat trail or the hot components of, of heat vision. I love it. Yeah. Thermal. Thermal. There you go. You know hey, what I'm talking about. Hey, that's all good. I all, like heat vision. That's a good answer too. All ghost hunters know what we're talking about. Absolutely. But look at that one. That was crazy. That's but I mean, look at the way video. he's locked on it, and he's at a hard bank trying to follow that thing. I know. He's he's going. That is so cool. I'm definitely going to put these videos up for our listeners so they can check these out for themselves. In case they haven't seen them. I would definitely do that because those are really cool. All right, so today's topic is the... Demonic haunting in a Indiana house in 1970 in Kokomo. Kokomo, Indiana. Now, all the research from this or for this episode came from one source. That's kind of odd, but the source is a blog for the young woman who grew up in the house and experienced everything that happened in there. No better nope. uh, source than the uh, people that experienced it, I would I, say. That's what I thought. I, th- I figured, you know, the f- a first hand uh, retelling is the best source for something. Yeah. So it's a lanabrock.blogspot.com, and she has a post entitled Growing Up in a Haunted House. Uh, she also, this is also the treatment that she used to send into sci fi that they uh, read when they picked her to tell her story on an episode of Paranormal Witness entitled Deliver Us from Evil. That is fantastic. And it's a uh, season three, episode five. So if you're looking for which one it is, it's season three, episode five, Delivers from Evil. And of course, being, you know, a, a 45, 50 minute show, they don't have time to go over everything that happened. Of course not. So what you're getting, what you're basically getting from the show is a Reader's Digest version of, yeah. of the events that happened. And they always do that. They abbre- yeah. they have to abbreviate it. There's no way that they could take into account every single thing because it would run for hours. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, heaven forbid they actually take the time to make more than one or two episodes and give you the full story. You know, they got to cram it all in 45 minutes. I would, I would definitely watch like a two-parter if they did something like that, because you know they they turn they 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 make these stories if they make them into longer uh, versions, they're usually like like a either direct to video or a Hollywood movie. And at that point, it's embellishing so much that you really can't tell what's real and what's not. And I get it, you know these these ghost shows and stuff only have so much. They only have so many episodes per season. You know, they've got tons of locations. So, yeah, they're going to have to spread it out. So, I get it. They got to keep writing cram up. it down. So, that's just the way it yeah, is. Yeah, exactly. So. All right, let's get into the story. So, it takes place in a uh, beginning in 1970 in Kokomo, Indiana. Wow. Ann and Roger Brock thought they got the deal of the century when they were able to purchase the house at 2220 North Armstrong Street for $5,000. Five grand? Five grand. Now, the average cost to purchase a house in the U.S. in 1970 was $23,000. So red flag. <laughs> it certainly seemed like the American dream come true. But, yeah. as you said, red flag. In 1975, the family began expansion of the four-room cement block house. A living room and bedroom were added to the front of the house, and an additional bedroom was built in the attic. And by 1978, the family also expanded their size by two. They went from five members to seven by 1978. And just how did that happen? Oh, we know. <laughs> that was when the family began to feel that something was different about their house. The family consisted of Father Roger, Mother Anne, daughters Mary, Lisa and Lana, who were twins, and sons Roger Jr. and James, and Sam the dog. 
There's always a dog. There's always got to be a dog. Best I person like in the house. It was Lana who would eventually tell the story to the world through her blog entry, Growing Up in a Haunted House, and as part of the TV series Paranormal Witness that we mentioned earlier. Lana first began to realize that something was different in 1978 when she was 11 years old. She began sensing an unseen presence and hearing footsteps rustling against the carpet in the back parts of the house. Then one morning when she was alone in the house, Lana began seeing flashes of white light zoom past her in her peripheral vision. Now, right before um, you get into the next part, we do want to make a little quick paranormal note here. Sure. That sensitives and people who are susceptible to paranormal activity experience more of this when they are going through the puberty years. I remember, you know, I remember that from when we were researching and stuff yes. like that. So this may have just been her awakening, so to say. Right. She may be a sensitive, she you was, know. She was 11. She was going to enter that, that period of her life. She's getting close to that age. So, yeah. Yeah. That might have been what happened here. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's a very, very good theory. Okay. She searched the kitchen, not finding any reason for the light. Deciding to see if she could see the light at night, she sat in the dark in the kitchen that night. As she got ready to call it a night, it appeared emerging from the attic and moving into the kitchen before dissipating into the ceiling. She described it as, quote, a distorted bit of light, bright, so fast it made it blurry to my sight as I tried to define it. After that incident, she became aware of a heavy and extremely sad presence in the house. From the ages of 11 to 16, she felt something dark was infesting the house, with the activity ramping up in 1982 when she was 15. Booyah. Mm-hmm. Puberty. Puberty. One hot summer night, she was sleeping on the floor of the room she shared with her two sisters. As she slept near the box fan to keep cool, she distinctly heard over the sound of the fan tapping on the walls and ceiling. She then heard the rustling of footsteps crossing the carpet coming closer to her. She dared not open her eyes to see if someone was standing over her. She suddenly had the sensation of movement and began to feel her body leaving the floor. Despite being terrified beyond movement a moment before... This new sensation scared her even more, and she jumped up and into the top of their bunk bed next to her twin, Lisa. She lay there with blankets over her head, shaking, but refused to explain what was going on to the now-awoken Lisa. A few months later, she was awoken at 3 in the morning to a knock on their bedroom door. Looking under the door, she saw the hallway light was on, but didn't see a shadow of anyone in front of the door. Uh, That's always a second sign of a demonic haunting, is tapping. Tapping on a door. Start, the first, the first sign is tapping on the walls and the ceiling. The second sign is when it starts knocking on your doors. Oh boy! Believing she dreamt the sound, she laid back down, only to have the knock happen again. Assuming it was her father checking in on them, she jumped out of the bed and pulled the door open. Not seeing anyone there, she went to her parents' bedroom and found them both asleep. Realizing that she was the only person up, she bolted back to bed and didn't get up the rest of the night. Once a friend was spending the night but ended up calling her father to come get her because she kept hearing a woman yell, help me, from the ceiling in the girl's bedroom. The friend went home and never came back over again. Because she probably thought she might have been hiding somebody in the In the attic? (laughs) Yeah. You never know. They might have, you know, you always have that one family member that, you know, you got to lock them up. Whether whether it's a a ghost or a, a living person locked in the attic, if you're a little person, a little girl, or a little kid, and you hear somebody asking for help from the ceiling, it's going to be scary either way. Oh, absolutely! It's going to be terrifying. It'll terrify the because hell out of you. If it's a ghost, it's scary because it's supernatural. If it's if it's a person, it's scary because you have no idea if you're going to get locked up in the attic. You're going to be up in the attic next. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. Jeez. In 1983, the house began affecting their dog Sam. Oh man. Sam was Lana's best friend, a stray black long-haired poodle mix that followed her home from school one day and eventually became the family dog. Sam slept in the girls' room every night, and one night they were awoken to a loud crash. They found one of the windows had been broken from the inside and no sign of Sam. The family went outside to look for him, but with no luck. Her father replaced the window pane with a cheap piece of plastic, and two days later, Sam came back. He was bloody on his legs from crashing through the window, but otherwise okay. One week later, it happened again. This time, her father was awake when it did. When he came into the room, they saw that Sam had jumped through the window above the first one. Holy crap. Whatever Sam saw scared him enough to risk jumping through glass again. They quickly went outside and found the dog trying to scale the privacy fence. He was bloody near the ribs and legs from the window. Sam ended up doing this two more times until her parents felt it was time to take him to a shelter for his own safety. Man, how about move? Right, yeah. I mean, you know, don't make the dog move. You move. Well, I read somewhere that the I think the father had 
initially thought that Sam was doing that because he was trying to uh, get at a dog that was in heat nearby. But oh, but even in heat, dogs don't crash the window. Four Logical, times. because obviously this girl isn't telling her dad what she's seeing or hearing. Good yet. point. Very good point. You yeah. Know, so so the dad thinks it's just dog being a dog. Dog being dog. Yep. But I mean, four times. That's I mean, that's kind of extreme. Yeah. And for the safety, yeah, you wouldn't want the dog to get hurt. No, is, not at all. Thank at me. least not anymore, yeah. Right, exactly. Then one night her sister, Lisa, told her she saw the figure of a little girl from the corner of her eye while watching TV. But when she turned her head, the girl was gone. Lisa would continue seeing the girl from the corner of her eye, but never directly. Mm-hmm. One evening in 1984, Lana was in bed and sat up to turn off her light. However, she heard a scratching on the French window panes in her room. This bedroom was the one that once was the old living room and next to the room she had once stayed in. She drew back the curtain and screamed loudly as she glimpsed a pale, white, sickly face of what looked like a man. But not a man. It had white, pale skin, greenish-yellow eyes with red on the outside and ugly teeth. Hey, I think it was a dude from Poltergeist. That's what I was going to say, Reverend Kane. Sounds like Kane, yeah. Yep. She thought someone had broken into their gate of their privacy fence. Uh, She called her parents, who came running, and she began to hyperventilate and told her father what she saw. Her father called the police, who came out but found nothing. No footprints, no traces of anyone had been pressing against the glass, and the fence was locked from the inside along with the fence on the side. This was about the time that she began to feel something had to be done. One Sunday in 1984, when her and her family came home from church around 1 in the afternoon, they noticed that Dad was struggling to get the front door open. He had unlocked it, but he could not get it open. Now, her father was well over 250 pounds and a big, strong man, but he just could not get that door open. Her entire family was standing outside waiting for him to get in the house, and her dad instructed her brother Roger to go to the back of the house and break in the back window. Roger grabbed hold of a heavy metal frame of the window and pulled it hard to try to force it open. The force of this ended up breaking that window permanently to where the old fixtures would not keep the window locked. When Roger got to the door inside the house, he had to climb over two huge homemade bookshelves that were crammed up against the front door. These two thick, huge bookcases were extremely tall and very heavy. They had been so tall that her father had to literally shove them into place. Those bookcases were now stuck behind the front door. So, you're telling me, while they were out, something put these big-ass, heavy bookshelves in front of their door to block it? In front of the front door to block them, yeah. Damn. And they had to break in. There was no other signs of forced entry. They had to break in their own house. Wow. to do that. That's yeah. something else. The bookshelves couldn't have fallen. They had to have been pried loose and thrown 10 feet across the room to the opposite wall and then pinned up against their door. What they found strange was that the books were all tossed to the right side of the room and bookshelves were tossed to the left side and up against the door. That is pretty strange. Yeah. Also, there were stain streaks from the wood stain of the shelves on the ceiling. So it's almost like it was lifted up in the air. Wow. To the ceiling and then tossed over. The stain streaks were two medium brown streaks shaped like a crescent moon, which proved to them that the shelves had been whisked out of place by brute force and thrown to the left side of the room. This was the first time her father could not explain the situation to his satisfaction. Hmm. And by this time, he and the family knew something was wrong. One day in the car, as the father heard all of, all of them talking about all the things that had happened up to them at this point, he simply said, quote, Don't talk about these things while at home. It was then that their father said, it's a demon. Demons cannot read your mind, but they can hear what you say and see what you do. They can tell if you're afraid. It knows what scares you. Ah, from Poltergeist, huh? Yowza. He had told them not to even talk about it or acknowledge it, and it would not hurt them further. That is, that's a lie. It's crap. That's that's a big crap. Absolutely crap. In 1985... An incident involving Lana and her twin sister, Lisa, and her younger brother, James, happened one afternoon on a weekend in the summer. James had come into the living room where Lana had been working on a poem. Lisa had also joined him, and their other brother, Roger, was in the kitchen or a back room. James came into the living room, in which the TV was not on, and no one else was home. James then asked Lisa to help him tie up his roller skates. However, she was upset she had her roller skates on and demanded he take them off. Oh, so he was trying to wear hers. Yeah. Didn't ask. <laughs> Never. That's how nah, siblings that's do, how right? That's little brothers are. As Lisa knelt down and began trying to undo the laces and take them off his feet, all of a sudden from under the house, they heard a loud grumbling growl. Another stage. Another, that's right. The growling starts. That's, that's also that's Another sign. That's right. Yep. It was so loud they could feel the floor vibrate against their feet. <laughs> 
All of them stood up in fear, saying, Did you hear that? What was that? The noise was a loud bellowing growl. It was a voice, groaning loudly from under the house. Roger, who was not even in the living room when the noise started, heard it, and terrified, he ran through the living room and out the front door. They scurried out of the house and in shock and ran all the way to the street. They all waited for their parents to come home before going back inside. When their father came home, the first thing they did was try to explain it to him, but ended up rambling to him in fear. After spitting out their story, their father could not explain what had happened to them, and no one has found an answer to this day. You know, no. Mm-mm. Sorry, the house starts growling at me, the floor is shaking, stuff's getting thrown around. I would kind of ad- ad- um, adhere to the rule of threes. So, the dog breaks all those windows trying to get out. Mm-hmm. You come home to find very heavy bookshelves move 10 feet across a room and block in your door. Yep. And then you find you come home to find your kids in the neighbor's house because they heard a loud grumbling, growling. At that point, move out. Bye. Adios. I'd burn the house down. I'd be like, be like oops, like, State Farm. Be like them saying, get out. I'm like, oh, got to go. Yep, that's right. Too bad you can't stay. That's right. One night in 1987, when Lana was 19, she was at home in bed trying to get to sleep. Lana had been engaged to be married, so she knew she would not have to sleep in that bed for much longer and pretty soon have a new, safe, warm bed with her husband in a new house. As much as she loved the house on 2220 North Armstrong Street and the good memories they did have, she would never forget the horrible things that she would end up seeing that night. As she lay in bed trying to fall asleep, she remembered feeling a presence. She heard a slight crackling noise and then a huff. She kept her eyes closed as tight as she could, not daring to open them, and grabbed her blanket and pulled the blanket over her head and tightened. This is a 19-year-old person, by the way. That 19-year-old person, scared to death. Scared out of her mind. But still knows the golden rule. Sheets are ghost and demon-proof. And monster-proof. That's true, and monster-proof. Everything-proof. Yep. Except if your if your parents want to whoop your butt, then at that point, nothing saves you They're not parent-proof. No, they're not (laughs) parent-proof, that's for sure. She knew something was out there and that it was coming closer. She could feel the pressure of something hovering above her. It didn't hurt her, but just knowing that the presence was there, pressing down upon her, was enough to make her want to scream. After lying frozen in fear for a while, she decided to take a look, and very slowly and cautiously began to lower the sheet. Don't do it. It's not going to be good. After she removed the sheet from her, from her face, she squinted her eyes and began to look into the darkness above. And that's when she saw it. Oh, damn. What she saw was a dark, solid mass, darker than the surrounding darkness. She didn't know what it was, and while studying it, she then noticed the big red eyes. The hell with that. Bye. And you know, there actually are several, um, several uh, encounters of people who have, who have talked about seeing a shadow person with red eyes. Yep. Like like Tons. The hat, like the Hat Man is a very familiar shadow person. Yeah. Now, uh, like when, way back when we went to the Sedumsville Rectory, yeah, to do an investigation. And by we, you mean the WHPS team? Uh, explain to the folks at home who that is. They might not know who that is. They may not know. I don't think we ever even discussed them. So, so uh, let's do let's uh, do a brief sidebar and let's talk about WHPS, the West Houston Paranormal Society, in which me and you are both members of. Correct, my good friend. Yes, been on a paranormal team for about ten years together. That's right. Uh, we went to uh, Sedumsville Rectory, and that is where I encountered my first shadow person oh. in a pitch, pitch black room, and saw a darker than dark shadow moving across the wall. I did not see any red eyes or anything, but I did catch it. Now, I caught it out of my peripheral at first, and I looked, and it was there briefly. And it was gone in a couple of seconds, but I did see it. So, when Lana describes the mass as being darker than darkness, you know what she's talking about. Absolutely. Because a lot of times, uh, when I tell people about shadow people, or when people ask about shadow people, they don't understand what the term darker than darkness means because their their concept their their idea is that nothing can be darker than like darkness. But but it can. This these things whatever they are are so dark that they stand out in a darkened room. Yes, they do. Uh, and uh like I said when I saw mine, I didn't feel scared. I was a little startled at the moment because it caught me off guard, but I didn't have a chance to even get a camera up fast enough to take a shot. It was gone. gone. But I did see it. You know, like I said, and you can't prove it, you know, but what are you going to take? You know, it it happened. Period. I saw what I saw. But like I said, there were no eyes or anything. Uh, But yeah. 
She saw what looked like red lighted up dots in the in a hovering mass above her. She pulled the blanket back over her head and stayed that way until she fell asleep. So leave. Nothing, but nothing happened. Again, uh, I, I guess it is true that blankets are. I guess proof. they're demon proof. Yeah. yeah. She didn't get up the rest of the night, but she knew at that point that she would never sleep in that room alone again. She spent the rest of her days in the house before getting married, sleeping in a recliner out in the living room with the lights on. Okay. See, out in the living room where the bookshelves were thrown against the front door, that's maybe? Where she, that's, yeah, it's probably not a good place either. <sighs> yeah. People. <laughs> <laughs> Later in 1987, her mother called her while she was living temporarily at Fort Devens, Massachusetts, to tell her that something was happening in the house. Her younger brothers were in high school and still residing with her parents. Her mother stated that there was a ghost in the house and she was frantic. She was overwhelmed by something that had just happened in the back bedroom where the dog Sam had broken through four windows and she just had to call her. As she began to tell Lana what had happened, she could hear her father saying, don't acknowledge it, don't say anything. But her mother was too upset to ignore it and just had to get it out. What she told Lana was that in the back bedroom, where the bedroom was now, she was cleaning when a very large picture with a heavy frame and a glass encasing of a photo of a man hunting with his dogs came crashing down upon her head. Hey, yay, yay. Only her head was not touched. The glass of the huge picture fell straight above her head, laying on top of her, and forced her downwards. The glass shattered all around her, yet the only thing she could feel was a slight pressure around her. She could not tell if she was being guarded by an angel or if an angry spirit was trying to hurt her, but it scared her tremendously. Uh, yeah, I would believe so. She then went on to tell Lana about other incidents that had happened in the house. She told her that lights would go on and off, constantly flickering, and that if they started talking about a ghost or a demon, as her father called it, then the lights would continue to flicker. She also explained that the ground under the new part of the house they built was sinking on the right side just underneath the living room. She said that her father was doing everything he could to keep it from happening by shoving fiberglass insulation under the foundation along with whatever he could find. That's probably not a good way to do that. No. Mm. But it's a sinkhole. You're going down. Yeah. She said the house was moving on the left side. Her father said it could have been a flaw in the construction when the construction workers built on the addition. However, he couldn't really explain why it was happening now. The new part of the house, which stood on the foundation two feet off the ground, was beginning to sink into the ground. There had been no flooding and there was no explanation as to why it's been happening the house wasn't settling the house was sinking into a hole it was a minor hole and her father kept trying to fill it and the portal to hell you know it might be a red-eyed demon who knows i mean you know with a red-eyed demon you just don't know just you're right because like i said we saw a poltergeist you know movie or not there was a portal we saw poltergeist three it was well, not not a very good example of. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm talking about the first one. The good, oh, yeah, the the good one when the house got pulled into the portal. That's right. Good point. That, you know, that was a portal to hell. Yes. Yeah, and that was a movie, but you never know. That was you a good never thing. know. Yeah. In 1989, after Lana had gotten married, her twin sister Lisa had divorced and returned home with her young son Clint, who was one at the time. Why'd you eat the ice cream off the floor? <laughs> that's getting cut. That's fine. <laughs> During this time, her brother Roger cleaned up the attic and made it into a bedroom again. He would go up there to relax, play his video games, and sleep. Once, in the middle of the day, as he was laying down on the bed, something terrifying happened to him. As he was laying on the bed, which sat next to a wall that had cut out in the drywall, in from the newer attic came a shining, flowing light of blue, purple, and green. The light hovered above him, but he was able to make out the shape of a human with face and eyes. The eyes were bright, but not human. The color of the entity changed several times right before his eyes. Roger never talked about this much with the family, but when he did, he did it with much urgency and insisted that it did occur and that these things do exist. Eventually, her father told the family that he too saw this, what they now call, leprechaun thing. He said it came to him several times while he was laying down in the living room. He told her that he was laying on the floor one day and he looked up and saw this green light and something hovering with a face that looked like a creature. He said it moved very fast, yet it hovered. It didn't hurt him, but it did shake him up. He never denied its existence, yet he refused to ever talk about it in great detail because of fear that talking about it would invite it to cause havoc with his life. Now, see, I'm sorry. Right then and there, if something like that was in my house and endangering my family, or at least if I even thought it would endanger my family, yeah. I would get my family the hell out of there. Yeah, I'm sorry, I, and you know I'm gone. You know what's funny is there's a very common theme when you when you hear about um, these kind of stories is 
the family move into this house that's a great deal. Mm-hmm. And they're only able to move into the house because it's a great deal because they don't have a lot of money. So what happens is... I guess. Stuck. Exactly. They get stuck. They they have all this stuff happen, but they, they don't have the means or the funds to move out. And so they are forced to deal with it or be homeless. No, that is an excellent point. Yeah. Which which is really sad. It, it sucks because, I mean, I mean, how do you make that as a father, as, as a parent, how do you make that decision to stay in a house and deal with this stuff versus... Trying not to find, trying to find another place to live, even even if you can't. I mean, that's just yeah. a hard decision to make. It is very hard. A couple of years had gone by when Roger had decided to seek out communication with the spirit in the house. Roger had a large padlock that he hung on the doorknob of the bedroom where the dog Sam had gone mad, and he asked the spirit to move the heavy padlock. While sitting in the room with her twin sister Lisa, who was visiting, they both watched as the padlock moved back and forth. Both her brothers, Roger and James, left the home as soon as they graduated, and her parents no longer desired to stay in the house at that point. Which <laughs> yeah. was long enough, I mean. Yeah, no kidding. There's nobody else left to throw in front of the demon if it comes after them. That's a good point. They decided to let the house go so as to move into apartments that would fit their budget and their needs. And it goes exactly back to your point, their means. Right. So, yeah, maybe they were they were trapped here. They were trapped. They- and completely helpless to do anything about their situation. And that, that truly is very sad. Very sad. As much work as her father put into rebuilding and remodeling the house, and her mother put into beautifying the interior and exterior, landscaping and yard work, they just felt it was time to go. Her parents moved out of the house in the late 1990s, and the house was rented out to a couple other tenants. One of the tenants had two dogs that also went mad in the house, and broke through the same windows that their dog Sam did. None of these tenants stayed long, as they never do. But then it happened. The house sat alone, quiet and abandoned. Then, one night... In 2001, a man walked down the alley behind her childhood home. The man had lived only two houses down, and for some reason, he began a fire to burn more than 30% of it and left it in ruin. He made his way to a nearby restaurant where he called the police to report the fire. It was later discovered that the police had been looking for an arsonist who had burned many structures down in that area. This man had claimed that he had heard a voice come from the back of the house, telling him to burn it. It was probably me. It was you, it was you, James. Burn the damn thing. Burn the house down. Because that's what I've been saying, man. The hell with that house. <laughs> and that, insurance. So, uh, from what I saw, the the house, at least the concrete structure, is still standing, but the house is burned down. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so that is the story of the bizarre and terrifying case of the Monaconti in Kokomo. That is very interesting. That very you know. interesting and very sad. I hate. When families are tortured like this, we have helped several families that were having issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if we've ever, we've had a couple of pretty uh, intense cases, but I don't know if we've ever had one that intense. No, I don't think we have. I don't think we've not had yet, one. Not yet, anyway. No, not yet, you know, no. So who knows? And I mean, this. But, uh, uh, but we have encountered, I will say, people who were equally as terrified. We've had people. They were scared of us being in their house. Yes, they were afraid. Because, they were afraid of us. Well, I think they were afraid we were going to entice it or make it worse. Yeah, by being there. Because unfortunately, the practice of some paranormal teams is to go in there, stir it up, get their evidence, and then you just leave. Right. And leave the people and not help them in, a, in a paranormal-soaked home with all this activity and no way to control it. So, yeah, we don't do that. No. Uh, so, yeah. And I do want to add a side note that uh, she did mention that this blog post was to the best of her recollection and that there were actually more incidents that happened during her time at the house. However, to write them all down would mean that she would just need to write a book about it. Yeah. Um, and this this was a treatment that she wrote to send to Sci-Fi for the show Paranormal Witness. Um, but... Even if this is like a, a a shortened version, that is still a lot of, of incidents happening. That's a ton. To Yeah, if this is like an outline, like you said, an outline of her experience from day one till she left the house and yeah. you know the base the basic family history with the house. Yeah, that is that's a lot of, of incidents that happen. Yeah. And I mean the, the the fact I think the scariest thing for me was that we have heard and have been told and probably believe that animals are able to sense the paranormal. Yes, they are. They are. I believe sent- that wholeheartedly. 
I believe it half-heartedly. They, they, they are said to be able to see spirits. They said they are able to predict like when earthquakes are going to happen, that kind of yeah. thing. Like they, have, they have this like sixth sense. Yes, they do. I do believe cats have it more than yeah. dogs do. Well, cats, you know, the guardians of the underworld and all this right. other stuff. They have some other, they have a bigger attachment to the paranormal than, say, dogs do. Yeah, the cats, cats have such a unique and independent personality that they almost act human. And so they have that human instinct, but then they have the animal instinct. I think that kind of helps them to see things that other animals can't see. But that's, that's, that's yeah. getting off topic. But I've never heard of, of a case where a dog went that crazy to escape something in the house scared to live in daylights out of it i know. mean it broke through four different windows two that were higher than normal so somehow it gathered the strength and the speed to run and jump high up to break through the window and then climb over yeah the privacy fence now what she what nobody you know unfortunately not being able to witness what was happening to this poor animal hopefully it wasn't thrown through the window now, that's a good point that I was thinking when I was reading the story was that yeah. they were assuming that the dog was trying to escape. And the reason I, I think they made their assumption was because of the fact that the dog came back the first time after a couple of days. But then the second time, they actually saw the dog trying to climb over the privacy fence. Yeah. And so I think at that point, they made the assumption that the dog all four times had jumped the window. Crazy. But I was thinking that the higher windows, what if he was thrown through the window yeah. by the demon? You never know. And like I said, and, and how, will we, how will we ever know? We can't right. go there and test the theory. You know? But that but, would scare the dog bad enough that he would try to climb over the privacy fence as well. Yeah, if, this, if, is, this is just one hell of a story, though, brother. Yeah. So Good one. Yeah, Good one. Really, really crazy. And um, I, I do believe I've seen the episode of the TV show Paranormal Witness, and uh, it was quite a good show if you haven't seen it go check it out like in season three episode five and i will try what i'll do is i'll try to find that too and i'll put a link to it if it if it's actually available online so uh as of today as a recording i tried to look it up and uh it's available to rent on amazon but it's not available to stream anywhere for free gotcha but you can go ahead and link the rental on amazon because i I could do that i think it's like two bucks to rent it so it's, it's not it's pretty cheap okay yeah. Sounds like a plan. All right, James. Well, why don't you tell the fine folks at home where they can find us? You can find us on the fourthhand.com media network. You can find our sister project, What the Suck, on there as well, as well as other great shows, lots of good people. You can find us on Facebook, and you can find us on Instagram under State of Fear. Just look for the Devil's Tower. And then we're right. also on Google Podcasts, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. You got it. All right. Man, I'm telling you, you we're everywhere. Nice. Chris has done a great job of getting us out there. So Thank you, sir. ain't no excuses. That's right. We're you there. Find Just us. find us. Absolutely. And where can they find you, James? <sighs> Under a rock right now with this whole <laughs> lockdown thing. But uh, I sneak out once a week to come out here and record with you. So. That's well worth it. It is indeed. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at James E. Bishop III, and I am on Instagram under James Bishop III. All right. All right, James. Well, uh, this was a lot of fun. Um, great story. Creepy story. Fantastic story, man. I like that. Yeah. I feel bad for that family and then what they had to endure, but it definitely makes for a uh, one hell of a topic. And from what it seemed uh, towards the end there, it seemed like everybody got out okay and, and did quite well. Nobody, Which is good. Yeah, that, that's always the important thing. But it's going to stick with them. Yes, absolutely. So, all right, guys. Well, then we will see you on the next state. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you down the road. Oh, and don't forget to stay tuned for the personal encounter stories coming up right now. Hello, folks. Uh, my name is Mike Hall. Um, <clears throat> I'm from the Hypothetical, a What If podcast. And I want to share a small story with you of uh, a crazy experience that me and my brothers, uh, Joshua and Daniel, and then my mother, um, um, who uh, has long been passed, uh, experienced um, whenever uh, we were younger. So, um, to start this out, let me go ahead and describe to you that um, the area that we experience this in is uh, called Step Cemetery. And Step Cemetery is located in the Morgan Monroe Forest in uh, Martinsville, Indiana. It's uh, just a little bit outside of Wilmington. And um, it's kind of a secluded, a little bit of a secluded area, uh, the cemetery is. Um, 
Well, to start the story out, um, I'll, I'll give you a little bit further background, actually, before I start. Um, in the forest, there is there are handfuls of folklore describing um, different points of view and different experiences that have happened. Um, like some of cults, some of groups of people, and uh, one interesting uh, individual is the woman in black. The reason I'm saying, the reason I'm describing the woman in black to you is because it's relevant to the story that we're about to tell you. That I'm about to tell you, actually. Um, So, the woman in black, um, I'd say like in the 1850s or so, had lost her child uh, to an illness. And so it's been said that the woman in black roams um, a wooded area of the Morgan Monroe State Forest, and she exhumes her child every evening um, in order to hold the child on a stump um, that had been there for a while, and um, on a stump that was located located close to where she had, uh, you know, su- supposedly exhumed her child, and she would sit there um, wailing and, um, you know, lamenting the death of her child, rocking back and forth on a stump. Well, this tree stump uh, ended up uh, gaining the name of the Warlock's Chair. So, now that you have a little bit of background on that, um, I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys the crazy, crazy experience that we ended up having. So, me and Joshua and Daniel um, are in, get loaded up into a station wagon. Um, my mom decides to take, take us to McDonald's and get our... You know, get some Happy Meals for us, and she decides to go ahead and pull over to the store on the way to Martinsville, and uh, she gets us a case pop, and I'm assuming that's to keep us to, you know, to let us chill out and be occupied as kiddos, and it, and it worked, and so we get to um, the um, Step Cemetery. We didn't know that we we ourselves, or us children, didn't know that we were going to Step Cemetery, but once we got there, we were like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> Uh, our mom meets up with some of her friends, and they decide to um, drink and smoke pot and spend a good portion of the evening there. Uh, I'm presuming, you know, to do that and then also to sober up a little bit before they go. Well, um, a short time into their evening, I'd say about eh, maybe two, three hours or so, um, we hear her friend Bobby... Um, very sort of skinny, um, blonde-haired, uh, effeminate, you know, sort of rich kid, uh, come running out of the woods. Just running and, like, going, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, I've done something wrong, I've really fucked up. And everyone's going, what the hell, Bobby, what did you do? You know, because, you know, you're in the middle of a cemetery and, you know, I mean, there's not much you can get into, right? Uh, I mean, you would think so. And uh, Bobby decided uh, that whenever he was roaming around uh, the woods and, and, you know, roaming around the cemetery, that uh, he had had quite a few drinks and he had been smoking. And he decided that he it would be a good idea for whatever reason to uh, be a smartass and piss on the um, stump that I had mentioned just a, a little bit earlier. And, um, you know, and this is the stump where... You know, the lady in black, you know, mourns rocking her child back and forth. So, according to him, he lets uh, my mom and her friends know what he did. And they're like, oh, shit, Bobby, no, 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 you don't do that. That's, you know, that's disrespecting the dead. And Bobby said that um, the reason he was screaming is because he's like, she's following me. She chased me out. And... So none of them are taking a chance. They're they're all running. They all run to their cars. You know they're not going to take any chances because they've grown up in uh, around Bloomington and around that area. And most of them get in the cars and they peel out. You know bit by bit. They you know, they can't all peel out at once, but they all you know 
you know, get them get their butts lined up to the to the exits, and they're they're heading out of the park. Well, my mom, she tries to go ahead and get into our station wagon, and for whatever reason, our station wagon, um, the automatic doors lock on their own. Like none of us bumped into anything, none of us touched anything. We were in the you know in the sort of like bench seats that we had in the in the back of the station wagon, so we weren't even close. Even though there's three of us, we weren't even close enough to bump into anything. We, we were just kind of sprawled out, laying down before all of this uh, shit hit the fan, and. You know, so we're locked in here, and we are freaking out because we can't get the doors open for our mother, who's trying to get into the car. And my mom is shaking the car, and like, uh, like shaking the handles, <clears throat> and um, she's trying to get into the car, and we're not having, she's not having any luck, not any luck whatsoever. And eventually, for whatever for whatever reason, she is able to, you know, pry open the door, the driver's side door, and jump into the car. So she jumps into the car and she is freaked the hell out because before she can even get her keys out to put them in the ignition, the car starts rocking back and forth. She's she's already turned around and hit, and hit the locks herself. The car's rocking back and forth. She's fumbling around trying to get her key into the ignition and I mean like she's cranking it and it's not turning over. Not not a damn thing. Not it's not turning whatsoever. And so we are like us kids in the back, we are me and Josh and Dan and uh yeah, myself, Josh and Dan, we are beside ourselves. We are just like stranger things times ten. You know, we're just we're 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 fucking we're out of here. We're our minds are like we're we're just yeah we checked out we were scared as hell um well my mom you know keeps trying to turn it over nothing's happening she ends up taking and, and getting angry and she slams her uh fists down on the dashboard he goes damn it and for i don't know what the hell happened but for whatever reason you know like we could see up front there weren't any the keys had already fallen out of the <clears throat> ignition from when she did that but whenever she hit her hands on the dashboard like the car started up all of us were shocked but we didn't care my mom hit the gas and we sped out of the cemetery um <clears throat> during all of that during everything of that was happened from from the moment that everyone jumped in the cars and left you know the weather just got worse and worse and worse and worse uh i mean it started out you know being little bits of rain then it went from little bits of rain to thunderstorming to darker skies and it was just you know if it wasn't one thing it was the next so it was de it definitely set the mood for a very very scary you know paranormal experience um now, I know some people are going to go ahead and say that there are things that, you know, oh, some of these things can be explained, and oh, you were a child, and you didn't know. But it's like, you know what? Unless you've been in a definite experience where you've experienced things that are paranormal, um, it, it's it's hard to explain. You know? You have to be there, and you have to experience those things um, to know that sometimes, you know, like, I respect people who are skeptical thinkers and I, I tend to be one myself most of the time but I've had ex uh, experiences in my life that have been uh, indescribable that haven't uh, followed the the line of normal skepticism or logic things that truly haven't been able to be explained phenomenon that I can't explain and um, that story was was a, a, <laughs> a bit of phenomenon that all three of us can't explain uh, you know, out of the three of us, uh, like my brother Daniel, my older brother Daniel is religious. Um, me and my brothers Josh, and uh, me and my sorry, me and my brother Josh, are not religious, but all three of us have a deep respect for uh, the unexplained and for phenomenon that that occurs. You know, sometimes you just can't explain things away. You know, there are things that are uh, different that exist, and um, you just kind of have to respect the fact that those things, you know, exist in this world. Um, I want to make a little addendum to this story. Um, our friend, 
uh, our, well, my mom's friend Bobby, who also happened to be a family friend, you know, through hanging out with my mother, um, he had already been HIV positive, okay? So what I'm about to posit to you, what I'm about to tell you is I understand some people will say, well, um, well, this makes sense, you know, of course things went worse for him and, you know, that can be explained away. And I'm not disagreeing with that. It's quite possible that his condition just got worse, and that's life, and things happen. But I want to suggest to you um, the concept of spear of thought, okay? Spear of thought is basically kind of like self-fulfilling prophecy. Whenever you have a self-fulfilling prophecy, you believe in something strongly enough that it begins to affect you, that your actions begin to help dictate the things that you believe that are happening to you. Alright, so you believe that someone puts a curse on you, then you start acting in ways that allow that curse to transpire, that allow things to happen that you know, would maybe be a result of the curse. You, you sort of push the ball in that direction through your fear, through your actions. You sort of bring it to fruition yourself. Um, the reason I'm saying this is because Bobby directly, like, directly after he had made that mistake of uh, urinating on the stump and getting chased away by the lady in black, um, started to... Shortly after that had happened, he had started to experience uh, complications, and they started out small, and you know, with his HIV, and it started out small, and and then bit by bit, um, mounting further until his death, um, they got worse and worse. And I, part of me says, you know, this is just what happens with people, and the other part of me says, I wonder if it was spear of thought. I wonder if he was convinced enough that he had done something wrong. And uh, from that point on, his fear of what he had done caused him to act in ways that were maybe not the most beneficial to his health and allowed him to compromise himself, um, whether it was through stress or whether it was through, you know, making uh, stupid decisions or, you know, it just makes me wonder if that was a contributing factor to the decline. Um, either way, it's food for thought, right? You know, you know, it, it's, you know, whenever you do something that disrespects the dead, um, sometimes, you know, it's possible that there can be retribution, you know, it's possible that things like that happened. And, uh, he certainly, f even to his dying day, felt like that was one of the bigger mistakes that he, that he ever made. He had admitted that to my mother. So I don't know. I, I have no idea. I'm glad that none of us kids were able to get out of the car or pee on the stump because um, I wouldn't be on the phone, you know, recording this for you guys and sharing the story. <laughs> I would probably be, you know, in hospital, you know, having suffered from years of shock and mental trauma. <laughs> um, I want to thank you guys for, uh, you know, taking out the time to listen to our story and um, our experience. If you um, would like to go ahead and reach us, our um, our podcast name is Hypothetical, uh, a What If podcast. Um, the website is www.hypotheticalpod.com. The email that you can reach us at is podcast.whatif at gmail.com. And if you have any uh, questions or concerns, any of your listeners or yourselves have any any sort of um, queries or any questions for us, then uh, please feel free to go ahead and send us an email. And uh, we will get back to you as soon as we possibly can. I want to thank you guys again for taking out the time to, uh, to listen to us. And um, you have a good evening. Bye.